Hey everybody, this is Dave Broadback. I'm coming to you live. Well, it's live right now. It's recorded for you. But coming to you uh, from what I have often called my podcast studio, which is actually uh, my daughter's bedroom, old bedroom. Anyway, uh, the lecture you're about to hear is for Psychology 3196, Human Evolutionary Psychology. Uh, hope you like it. All right, so uh, they fixed the thing so I can use my things, which is great. <coughs> so today we talk about genetics. Some of you guys have seen some of this stuff before. Uh, the thing is, I think we have to talk about this. We're going to talk about behavior evolving, cognition evolving. We have to talk about genetics and behavior because if we don't, well, how else could stuff get transmitted, right? So we have to talk about this. Um, so for behavior, as I said here, to be affected by natural selection, some variation in behavior must be inherited. Right? So if we buy the fact, that I hope you all do because you're taking this class, that behavior's been affected by natural selection, there has to be some method, some sort of, of, of transmission. So characteristics couldn't be passed on. Well, I guess there could be cultural transmission of things, and I, there certainly is cultural transmission stuff. I really at least deny that. But for there to be cultural transmission of behavior, uh, and for that, we have, to, we have to think about that and then how it affected fitness, and to then ignore the genetic aspect of that crazy. So we have to really think about this. Cultural things can affect fitness. There's no doubt about that. Right? There's no argument there. So, I don't know, we can think of all kinds of possibilities here. Uh, what music you like. Now, I don't think it probably affects people of our age in this room. I hope I hope you aren't so shallow that you care about someone's taste in music as some way of determining if they are a good vein or not. But if you're that shallow, good for you. Um, but when you're in high school, that matters, right? Right? It really does. It's all the stupid, stupid things. Yeah, that's right. And that's a cultural thing, you can call it that. I could probably make a, an argument that it isn't entirely cultural, and that's fine, but we can still think of that as being a cultural thing. What well, kind of clothes you wear? Right? We don't tend to think of those things as we get a little older. We tend to worry more about, you know, behavior and someone's character. And those, of course... <coughs> may have a little bit more to do with genetic, uh, with genetics rather than some sort of culturally transmitted thing. That said, culture's, culture's going to matter. No one's denying it. So things can contribute to fitness and not be genetic. They can be purely cultural. And they then can be passed on. There's a name for those things, by the way, a name coined by Richard Dawkins, and it's called a meme. A meme, no, is not a picture of Sean Bean going, no, but one does not simply take this class. Um, the original word of meaning of meme is something that is culturally transmitted that affects fitness. Okay? It's a theoretical idea. It's been played with a little bit in the biological literature, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. It's a hard thing to study So only 
inheritable, genetically transmitted variation to be affected by selection. So even if something is does affect uh, fitness and it's cultural, it's not going to necessarily be affected by selection. So selection acts on things that are, have, have a genetic basis. Okay. One of my all-time favorite quotes about anything is by Donald Hepp, noted Canadian uh, neuropsychologist. One could say that he and Brendan Miller are the father and mother of cognitive neuropsychology. Uh, cognitive neuroscience. Like they invented it. And Hepp said that trying to determine how much of a behavior is due to genetics and how much is due to the environment is like trying to determine how much of an area of the field is caused by its length and how much is caused by its width. What Hebb is, is saying there, he said this uh, in The Organization of Behavior, which is a classic book that if you really are interested in genetics and behavior and physiology, read it. It's, a, it's dense, but it's, and it's not always right because it was written a long time ago, but it's really a great book, and that's, I'm pretty sure that's that quote comes from. What Hebb is saying here is that nature, nature nurture distinction is a waste of your time. Stop worrying about it. Stop worrying about it. Right? It's not the case that we, oh, that's all environmental, oh, that's all genetic. It's like everything has to be both. You can't have genes without an environment. You can't have an environment without genes. Well, you can, but, but nothing matters. It's my flavor flavor impression. Mm -hmm. you enjoy that? Uh, for those of you listening on the internet, I just take the clock up and put it around like I was doing this. Anyway. Flavor Flav. I'm hip with the scene. I'm hip with 25 year old hip hop. Um, all right. Questions about this? Do you see the point of this statement? Right? It's like, why care? Because having genes not don't happen in the, uh, don't get expressed in the environment, then nothing's happening. Having an environment without any genes. Well, that would be like Earth before life showed up. There's water. That's pretty great. Rocks. Hey. Yep. So this is saying that they both essentially are two uh, different sides of the same coin. It's sort of. They're saying you can't have one without the other. Now, it's not saying that you can't look at genetic variance and say how much genetic variance overlaps with behavior, uh, sorry, with, with, with variance in the behavior. You can do that, right? Um, but saying that, but that happens in an environment. It must. So we can have something like, and I guess I'll be stealing some of the thunder from my final slide, but I think, but we can look at a disorder like PKU, where someone cannot uh, metabolize, I think it's phenylalanine. And it's, that's, it's, it's a disease that, or disorder, disease, whatever to call it, that used to be the number one cause of mental retardation in the Western world. It was way bigger than Down syndrome or anything else. And it's literally 100% error. It's a single, it's, a, it's, a, it's recessive and it's a single bad, illegal, single bad gene. And if I, and it used to be, basically you'd end up with some more severe mental retardation. That's uh, where they do the heel trick. That's where they do the heel trick test now, yeah. Uh, okay. when, you're, when you're born, 
one of the saddest things that happens when you're a new parent is watching your kid they, they prick your the kid's heel and take blood. You go, what are you doing, you madman? When you realize they're trying to determine if your kid has a rare genetic disorder, because if your kid does, they bring you a list of things saying, never feed your kid this food. If your kid ends up with an average IQ of 100 this day, the age of 15. So it's completely heritable and completely the, the changing the environment, the diet in that case, literally gets rid of the effect of the bad gene. Right? So it's a great example of something that's completely heritable and completely affected by the environment. Could you further explain that? How so? How it, so it's a further, the environment affects... Well, the environment in that case is the food the kid's ingesting. Okay. Yeah, and now because the kid's not ingesting food with, it's either fetal alien or fetal Oh, okay, sorry, okay. Then they're not getting that thing so they don't end up with that stuff building up in their brain and destroying neurons in their frontal lobe. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, actually. And up until it was probably when I was little, it was still probably never one cause of retardation in the Western world. Yeah, it's called. Like, it just doesn't happen anymore. Right. So, some terms. Uh, look, I. This is basically so we can talk about things. Um, what's a gene? There's two ways, two ways to define it. A gene is a series of base pairs that code for a protein. That's a nice definition. Here's another definition, basic unit of heritability. Both of those are correct. They're both fine. Genotype is the genes that you have. That's your genotype. We all have different genotypes in this room. Your phenotype is your outward appearance and your outward characteristics. This includes your behavior, your cognition, and just looking around, we all have different phenotypes. A chromosome. I like to think of chromosome as just a whole bunch of genes. That's fine. Basically, what happens is we have pairs of humans have 23 pairs of chromosomes, right? talk, show, show that in a sec. It's basically just a whole bunch of genes. Oh, yes, I know there's some biology students in here that are like, this is okay, fine. For our purposes, it doesn't really matter a great deal. Okay. And that was my impression of biology students. I don't know why that was, that was just weird. Um, a locus is a place on a gene. An allele is an alternate form of a gene. It's an alternate form. Well, just look around. We all have 23 chromosomes. What's your hair's We all have the same genes, because that would make us humans. Yeah, we all look different and act differently. Well, we probably have different versions of the same genes. If we didn't, we would all be exactly the same, which would be less interesting, but it would make teaching easier. Because you'd all make exact, almost the same mistakes. Uh, cells can be diploid or haploid. A diploid cell is a normal cell that has pairs of chromosomes. So there's pairs of chromosomes, you have pairs of genes, pairs of alleles, right? Okay. You do have some haploid cells, 
your sex cells. Those only have 23 chromosomes, not 23 pairs of chromosomes. Sorry, so Dave? Yes. Um, because I was listening, but I was also trying to write. Um, yeah, that's your excuse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe I was just... I'm kidding. I can't um, I love. <laughs> so a diploid cell is like you get one gene from each parent. Yeah. And a haploid is, yeah, as you just said, yeah. you have 23 instead of 23 pairs. That's right. Okay, thank yeah, you. That's right. So, and diploid cells, sorry, haploid cells in humans and, well, in most animals uh, are... Only your sex cells. Okay? It's only your sex cells. So sperm dies in women. Women were born with all their eggs. Men are making sperm all the time. It's our job. It's what we do. That lawn maintenance, pretty much that's what men are born. If you look at a lot of evolutionary biology literature, they'll say, basically, what is the function of males? Sperm carriers. That's what we do. And if we need males everywhere throughout the animal kingdom, we allow sexual reproduction to happen. Now, there is a weird case. Uh, certain insects, bees, ants, where the females are all ha- are haploid and the males, or sorry, are diploid and the males are all haploid. You know, we have single sex chromosomes. Happily, we are not bugs. I find social insects disturbing. They are organized and they can hurt you. <laughs> I just find them disturbing. They have their little society in there. Always bug me that ants movie. It's all men, but actually all the workers are women. Women. Females. Women. Women ants. Females. Uh, males show up like right at the end of the, bre- uh, of the whole season to do one thing. Breed and die. And they're actually haploid. A gamete is a sex cell. When when mommy and daddy really like each other, two gametes get together and you get a zygote. <coughs> mommy and daddy have had a few drinks. <laughs> and are celebrating a new refrigerator. I just know a buddy of mine was told by his parents he was in celebration of the river. Because <laughs> he once asked, like, why was I born 15 years after my older sister? Well, we've got a new friend, you know, one thing or another. Wow! Yeah, priorities change, you get older. It's true, right? Uh, genes can be recessive, so alleles, different alternative forms of genes, can be recessive or dominant. Um, a really simple example of this, the sort of classic example, is eye color. And I think it's one we've all learned, so that's why I use it as an example here. <coughs> um, the brown allele is dominant, and the blue allele is recessive. It's not exactly quite that simple, but it, for our purposes, that would work. So you get one copy from mom, from dad, and one copy from mom. Big B is brown, little B is blue. If that's your genotype, right? Your feet, because it's a pure dominance recessive relationship, your phenotype is going to be brown eyes. Right? These also lead to brown. Little B, big B, 
and two big b's. Little b, little b, it's two blue eyes. So two brown-eyed parents can have blue-eyed children. Two blue-eyed parents probably can't have brown-eyed children. Again, the genetics aren't quite that simple, but they're close to that simple. I was once asked in a class by a student afterwards who had brown eyes and parents with blue eyes. I said, well, you probably adopt it, right? No. I said, okay. <laughs> That's not a discussion I should be having with you. You should be having with your parents. Your parents love you. Do you love your parents? Let's just move on, okay? Be happy. They're your parents. It was a really, I felt horrible. That's why I mentioned it now, so no one comes up to me after class and tells me. Also, like as I said, it isn't quite that simple. So it's close to that simple. <laughs> Like you don't want to say something like, so did you have any milk in? <laughs> so you can be homozygous, that's these two genotypes, big B, big B, or little B, little B, or heterozygous. You can be big B or big B, little B. Right? You also don't always get pure dominance recessive, sometimes you get partial dominance. That's just some terms. Okay, questions? It's all stuff you probably learned in elementary school, not elementary school, but early high school, right? And you've heard me talk about a lot of this stuff before, too. Okay, I'm not ever going to ask you about how mitosis works. You know why? You were tested on that great pen science. So why would I ask you now? All I'm saying is, you can see here when you end up with cells divide, right, you end up with... I love to hear, by the way, this is meat phase. <laughs> I stole this great diagram off the internet. You know, you, you, I go in and I type in mitosis, meiosis, diagrams. That means this diagram. Oh, that's too much work. And then about five years ago, someone said, I think it says meat phase. <laughs> yeah, I should say that. Um, well, if it's muscle, it's meat. But anyway, you end up with two identical daughter sets, right? We're not that interested in that, right? For our purposes, talking about this, we're much more interested in meiosis, and this is how you end up with sex cells, daughter cells, sex cells, sorry, daughter cells, sex cells that are candidates. Now, the interesting thing here is that you don't end up with one chromosome going here and the other chromosome going here, right? That does happen in really simple organisms. It doesn't happen in us. It doesn't happen in anything a lot more complicated like a hydra. Right. So each sex cell is a little bit different, and if you just sort of intuit this, you should realize it would have to be, or you would be exactly like your brother. Or your sister. Right, in your own. Thankfully, right? He or she is just an asshole. But, a kid, she's your brother's father. Your sister has got some problems.
So chromosomes don't just pair off. There's also this recombination that happens. This also explains why you end up with traits that are traits being related to each other. So one trait will go along with other traits. Because they're close by on a chromosome, less likely to scale off in different places. Okay? Right? So you'll see things like, for example, facial features based often work this way, such that if I look at a picture of my wife and her sisters, there is a family resemblance, but it's not like you go, whoa, they look exactly the same. Whereas if I look at a picture of my wife and her aunt, they look the same. I know what my wife's going to look like in 25 years with, you know, better teeth. But, no, I do. I don't, she'll just look like Jeanette, because like, they look the same. When I first met her, it was like, well, this is weird. You know what's even weirder? Her, she married a psychologist. It's like, it's like okay, so apparently some other characteristics went along with it. But yeah, she looks like they look exactly the same. They should all went together. Right? So, Dave. Yep. Is it possible, so... For instance, yep. my sister and my mom, like when they were the same age, they looked the exact same. Yeah, sure. But I don't see there like there's no resemblance now. And like my mom's sixty, my sister's twenty four. So is it possible that like the way like you can look the same at one age and then the way your skin changes? Oh sure, there's all these like, like, there's all these environmental effects as well, right? I okay. mean so like your environment's not gonna be exactly the same. Okay, so like even though they look the same at the same yes. age point, like yeah. they, it's not guaranteed that they're Oh the no, same it wouldn't be guaranteed. No, okay. I mean and a lot of times you see that I know when, when for example when my daughter was born <coughs> everybody said she looked like my mom. Right? And then if you looked at her now, you really see my wife and my daughter. Like she, they look very similar. There's an interesting side note to that. Um, parents of a mother are more likely to say, so parents of a mother who's had a baby are more likely to say that the baby looks like the father than parents of the father. Parents of the father are 50-50. What looks like you, what looks like your wife, girlfriend, whatever, whoever you have with your mate. And that's why right, right? 50-50 is probably a Why do you think the parents of the mother would be 70%, and this has been replicated quite a bit, 70% more likely, so 70-30, to say that the mother, that the baby looks like the father's family. Uh, it's to reassure that it is his child. To right. Functionally, that's what it's doing. I don't think anybody's thinking, well, we don't know whose kid this is. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some people are thinking that, and it's pretty rare. But the interesting thing is, and this is you know, the cool thing is, cross-cultural, this happens whenever it's been tested, wild. And no one's doing it on purpose. Or, like I said, most people aren't. But it's a nice little strategy on behalf of the mother's family to say, hey, father, take care of this. Those really are your genes. See, the mom knows. Because it came out of her, she's pretty sure that it shares half her genes. The dad never's really sure. Never's really sure. 
wild, right? That's cool as hell. And as I said, people aren't consciously thinking this. They aren't consciously going, well, I better make sure that my son-in-law thinks it's his baby. <coughs> Does that only happen in uh, it's hard to know how that would happen in other animals, how you would do oh, that yeah, expression, right? That's the like thing. I don't know how you would do that in other animals. Yeah. Right, you do that. And as I said, it's probably the case that it's 50-50. I remember when my daughter, as I said, my daughter was born, I thought she looked like my my, my mom, then I thought she looked like my mother-in-law, and then I thought, oh, she looks just like Isabel. She's She's cut this weird combination of she's got all the nice parts of Isabel and all the bad parts of me. So she's got like, she's nervous all the time. She's got a temper. And all the bad things that I have and all these wonderful things that So sometimes she'll say, oh, Dad, I'm worried about this. And I'll say, well, Dad, don't worry about it. I feel the same way all the time. Same text always comes back. Thanks for the genes, Dad. I am an idiot. Um, so each sex cell is a little bit different. A little bit different. So the recombination is actually the source, most of the source of genetic variation among individuals. Pretty much the only, I haven't known capitals only, it's pretty much the only source of new genetic material. You know, those mutations are bad. Mutations are bad copies. Is there stuff like horizontal gene transfer? It does happen. <coughs> yeah, sure. Uh, is there epigenetics? In other words, the effect of the environment on genes? Uh, do they get expressed or not? Sure. But the vast majority of new genetic material comes about because of bad copies. Most mutations are bad. Most mutations are lethal. These are pretty finely tuned organisms, machines, right? So one little mistake, eh, it's not going to help. It's usually going to hurt. Some are neutral, and some a very small subset confer a very small advantage. Usually it's not some huge leap, it's some small advantage. Okay. <coughs> and consider, think about this, a lot of people, you will hear people who are critical of evolutionary theory say, well, I've, I've, I can't, I've not seen evolution happen. Well, first of all, you don't have, uh, if you've ever been, oh, I don't know, in a hospital where they where superbugs show up, but that's beside the point. What's the rate of human generations? Like, what's, what's the generation time of human? For most of our evolutionary history, what is it, like 15 years? Something like that. You can have a kid in 15. It's probably about 15 years. Maybe 12, probably not that, quite that young. Probably 15. It's not, we get the Western Industrialized Society now, it's like 25 years. That's going to be pretty slow moving. It's going to be pretty slow. <coughs> okay. So, basically, how this works is that we have different base pairs. Uh, 
adenine, thymine, cytosine, and guanine. These things pair up together. So C to G and A to T. The amazing thing about DNA, in fact, is that it's really just... It's, four, it's, it's an alphabet of four that determines how all these proteins are made to make you you, or make a pigeon, pigeon or make wheat, wheat. Awesome. It's, to me, it's literally awesome. Like I have, I have a sense of awe about uh, about molecular genetics. It just boggles my mind because it can make something as simple as a nematode, so with 302 neurons, and it can make each of us individuals pretty awesome. Like, again, literally awesome. Okay. So genes encode proteins which make basically all we are are expressions of proteins. That's scary. Not really. It's cool. <laughs> it's really kind of neat. Um, you get DNA to RNA. RNA makes proteins. Proteins make the phenotype. Okay? Proteins expressed in an environment because see, genes are turned on and off. The production of these proteins change very often, depend, well, almost always, depending upon environmental conditions. Those environmental conditions are affected by other gene expressions. It's exceedingly complicated. <clears throat> some genes are some genes. Some genes are less responsive than others to environmental effects. Question so far? Now I'm going to go over an example now. It's an example a lot of you've seen before, and it is a genetic disorder that I have. So I have a genetic disorder called human ocular cutaneous albinism. Technically, I have a disorder called OCA1. Um, there's other kinds. There's OCA2, there's OA. There's about 15, 15 different, sorry, 15, 15 different kinds of albums. I have what is probably the most common one, which is OCA1. So there's a single gene. It's not really for the production of melanin, which is pigment. The single gene is for the production of tyrosine, tyrosinase, which is an enzyme that breaks back down tyrosine that allows the, your body to make pigment. You need tyrosine to make pigment. Well, I can't. You need broken down tyrosine. So I have tyrosine, but I don't have tyrosinase. It doesn't break down tyrosine, so I, my body doesn't make pigment. So, but shorthand, I don't have the gene that allows me to make melanin. Okay? I just don't have it. I have a gene that makes something, it just isn't any good. It's a giant waste of time. I have a big waste of time gene. Going, I'll make a protein. It's a useless protein. Want some? Now, I'm going to call the normal gene, and yes, I'm using the word normal because it doesn't offend me because I am not normal. Statistically, most people don't have what I have. Therefore, I am not normal. I am not offended by it. I don't care. 
if you're offended by it, well, it's my body to help with you. So, it's statistical. I'm not normal. That's okay. I don't care. There was a time when I was younger that it really bothered me. But I realized, why are you worried about this? Get over yourself, loser. Um, no, seriously, I just like, who cares? So big A, we'll call it, big A leads to a normal phenotype. Little A is bad. And yes, it is bad having this genetic disorder. It's not horrible. It's like it's the end of the world. But it's not, I'm not hooked up right on so many levels. So little A is bad. It's a pure dominance recessive relationship. Okay? So, all the heterozygous genotypes lead to a normal person, phenotypically. Homozygous, or big A leads to a normal person. Homozygous with little A leads to me. So there's my folks, and I miss my father every goddamn day. Um, God damn it, I miss him. So, and I think I look like him more and more every day, too, which is kind of creepy. Because <laughs> I didn't always look like him, and now I do. And now the end, it's like he's just stopped at 64, and I keep getting closer to 64 because of, you know, what would be rotation of the earth and all that. Now and then I'll be walking down the street and I'll, I'll see my, my reflection in the store window. It's like, Dad? Oh no, my God, I walk like it now. <laughs> so they must, and we know, I don't know what their genotype is. I'm putting, uh, convention is the father's uh, gene goes first, it's just convention, doesn't matter. They must have, they both must be carriers of the bad gene, of the bad allele. Because of me. But they're phenotypically normal. Right? So they both have pigment in their hair and their skin and their eyes. <coughs> Excuse me. These pictures are kind of old. I'm using them because they're, they're all pictures of my family and we all have these pictures done at the same time. So you can see it so we can feel it for it. There were a lot of things with my father that were not normal. Told many of you that my father had such a type A personality that after he had a heart attack, he drove himself to the hospital. And my mom asked, she said, Your father had a heart attack. Remember the last night he was at funeral? He had a doctor saying my heart attack. So, God, is he okay? Well, you know your father, he drove to the hospital. Yeah, that would be dad. So, they had a one in four chance of having a kid with little A, little A, right? Because there's four possible genotypes that can come from them. And they did. I'm the one on the left. There's no dominance. We know it must be for me who they live. Okay. That picture is taken in the apartments across the street from Churchill Plaza on the Lake Street. 
apartments? They were really awesome apartments in 1965. The rent was $91 a month, which when you think about that now, is lots of money. Because my dad said, oh, put it this way, cigarettes were 11 cents a pack. So. It's still expensive for the rent, isn't it? Yes, it was expensive. Yeah. No, they, those were just, like, they had just been built. Get, okay, because I was going to say, like, now you can get cigarettes for $9.30 a pack instead of cheap shit. Really? I sell them at work, that's all I know. <laughs> hey, yes? Um, would you say, like, some mutations are higher in certain ethnic groups? Yeah, in fact, albinism is an interesting one. It's, it's more common in Tanzania mm-hmm. than it is here, for example. It's more common in Sub Saharan Africa than it is in. Yeah. Uh, uh, sort of European populations. So it was uh, like an explanation. This is the question. There must then be some advantage to having albinism in sub-Saharan Africa. And frankly, there isn't much behaviorally because people like me are hunted down and killed. And I'm not making that up. We're literally hunted down and killed for our body parts. Wouldn't you know Yeah, see, this is the thing. I mean, it prevents... The reason people have... The functional reason to have darker skin is so you don't get... Sunburned or sun or, or cancer, and the functional reason to have white skin is because you live somewhere where there's not as much sun, so you have to get vitamin D somehow. So the whiter your skin, the more like easier it is to get vitamin D, um, and you're less likely to have skin cancer. There must be some reason. I've heard all kinds of crazy theories that none is really. There's, there's nothing that's that I went. Oh, that makes sense. Right? So nothing viable. Nothing that I've heard of. That, 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 like I've heard people just spout ideas. I've not read anything. What do you think, though? Oh, I think there's probably something to do with some sort of heterozygous superiority. So having little a, big A is still better than having big A, big A for some reason under very certain circumstances. So I honestly don't know. Because heterozygous superiority is something that is a very common thing in genetics. It's good to have variation. Having the, the, less, the less common one, like I have, isn't good, clearly, but having the other version perhaps is good somehow, but that's really just me leaving my hands. <laughs> <laughs> what are the chances of this occurring? Uh, in all, all of humanity, 1 in 17,000 white bloods. 1 in 17,000. So chances are there are two other people in this, in this city that are like, who knows really like me? <laughs> Uh, yeah. uh, have their siblings been tested? Are the carriers? Uh, they might be. I don't think they've been tested. Oh. And, like, it's one of these things where the chances of their. I don't want to say mates, it makes it sound like they're animals, but I'm going to say yeah. husbands or, and, or wives uh, having carrying it is so slim that the chance of their kid having it, their kids having, having it is so small that I don't think they ever get genetic testing. When we got. When we first. When, when, when Isabel was pregnant with Maddie, we did go to genetic testing. Not testing, but genetic counseling just to see what the likelihood was. And there was nobody we could find in Isabel's family that had it. We don't even know where it shows up in my family. There's some great aunt that might have had it, but no one really knows. It was a different time. You know. You'd think for one. Oh, you said what? Sorry, you said at least 200 people in this city would have it. No, I said three. Oh, it's one in 17,000, so it's probably still, three. With the city so small, you think you Yeah, we all hang out together. Yeah, so that's what I thought. There's a kid in my elementary school. Yeah? Yeah, sorry. There you go. So there's two. There's two. Yeah, I was wondering, like, uh, are there any 
modern treatments to produce treatments. All you have to do like, uh, is constantly be giving people tyrosinase. Yeah. And is that, uh, I don't think because most of because of the effects on the visual system we'll talk about. There's it would be too late. It would have to be done in in utero. Yeah, and so that's not something that's tested for because typically this isn't this isn't a debilitating genetic disorder. Like this isn't going to knock years off my life. Uh, it does other things. It gets you teased a lot when you're a kid. It makes you grow up by the time you're about eight. Things like that because you get treated like shit all the time. But it doesn't. It's not debilitating. It's not like it would be something like say PKU where you would want to know right away. Hey, would you say something like gene editing and CRISPR could be used? Oh, perhaps someday. Someday. Yeah, maybe. Uh, the question you have to do you have to do pretty early on. So it would have to be like at which stage? Uh, it would have to be in utero. In your account. Yeah. Yeah. I heard talk of the CRISPR. Oh, did you? Well, my daughter got her degree, her master's degree, the woman who discovered it. Genius, right? Yeah. Oh. Uh, she um, she was the honorary degree person, and she was so cool. She no, she's French for France. And she talks, she said she's from France, ladies. It's the greatest thing. It's like, I was like on the edge of my seat, like, this one's going to end up on Friday Sunday, and I'm in the same room as her. Like, Is she trained in, like, library? I don't know. You'd have to look it up, but she's awesome. And she's exceedingly French. She's the Frenchest person you've ever seen. You almost expect her to be eating a baguette and drinking wine. She's so French. It's such a wonderful scientist. There's, like, greatness is in this room right now. So cool. so cool. I mean, I got my when I got my master's degree, I was hooded by a guy I learned about prize, and I don't feel John Pogliani, physics and chemistry. That was cool. This was cooler beyond belief. I don't know who those other kids are. I asked my mom. She has no idea who they are. She said everybody in those apartments had kids, and we just left our doors open, and they, and they all played each other's apartments. Did your parents ever, like, go to bed and be like, wait, we have, like, two extra kids? I, no, I don't think that ever happened. No one did a better job. That's a new job. Though there was a story of my dad, that yeah. they were at a party at somebody's place, and my dad said he was went back, because he had a party, you know, he was like, well, I'm not going to go to the bathroom here, I'll go back to my place. It's just three doors down, and someone walked into the, and my dad, the door was open, that's like, how's it going? Is this not the right apartment? <laughs> it's different times. It's the 60s. It was all very mad then. So my brother Dan, who I still call Danny, I don't care if he's 50 years old, I and my sister Steph, they may be characters, they may be not, uh, we don't know. They're both phenotypically normal. Um, so my brother Dan, my sister Steph, these are older pictures, as I've mentioned before, He's a first-year engineer at Western. She's a tattoo artist. Like a really good one. Actually, now if you look at my brother, he's mostly tattoos now. My brother was uh, very upset yesterday because Dolores O'Riordan died from the cranberries and he produced all her solo albums and wrote stuff. Very hard on So, they're also better looking than me, but I don't care. I'm smarter than them. Um, so, this is us a long time ago, as you can tell again. Back when I was... How much did I weigh then? Like 290? I, I was bigger than um, As I've noted, these are old pictures. She's 24 and is working on a PhD. He's 
if I pull out five of my friends, likely on the... Oh, he just texted me. <laughs> when are you coming home? You can go to him now. <laughs> that's when Dwayne knew that's when Dwayne after my kids actually yeah he told me that he used to be he said. oh yeah so some behavioral effects then so let's there's the genetics let's look at the behavioral effects I can't spend very much time in the sun I literally cannot tend it is impossible I only burn and I burn quickly and horribly I am literally wearing 110 sunscreen right now. I always wear 110 sunscreen. Uh, in the winter, I can put it on in the morning. In the summer, I put it on every four months. Mostly, I don't go outside because I hate sunscreen. It's gross and it feels like you're putting Crisco all over your body. <laughs> so, the, the low winter is effect as well. With the wind, like a low winter sun, yeah, whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. It's also it's less likely to burn you. Yeah, it's less less but it still affects. Oh god, yeah. Why yeah. well, can still get sun? So I don't spend much time in the sun. Uh, July fourth, nineteen seventy-six. I got third degree burns from the sun. My back, Portland, Maine. Because back then there was no sunscreen. Sunscreen. It's nineteen seventy-six. Have a cigarette. Uh, <laughs> I have a drink, yeah. I have very poor vision. One of the things that happens is that melanin guides the growth of the visual system. So because of that, I, I don't have a phobia in my eye. The, 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 the cones are distributed equally. Not, you know, they're not concentrated. So I, I see 10% more vision. Ish. Okay. This is why you would need an in vivo because or in Euro, because frankly, um, this is happening well before you're born. The visual system is So it's not actually the problem with the eye, it's the system. The, the, the eye itself, the eye problem comes because of the nomelanin. The nomelanin. Okay. Melanin is actually, it signals the neurons where to grow. Okay. So the rods and the cone cells and things like the that. The rods and the cones, the uh, optic nerves, where to project. I don't have an optic chiasm. My, my, my eyes are wired ipsilaterally, not contralaterally. It's crazy. And this is because of melanin? It's all because of the albinism not having any melanin yet. So I don't have binocular vision. I don't see it in three dimensions. Okay. And what's that? What do you mean? Well, you know, like when you watch a TV show and the world's flat, that's what the world looks like to me. People want to meet at 3D movies, it's like, oh good, this is an extra three bucks. <laughs> There's nothing for me. Right? Everybody else is like, ooh, and I'm going, okay, three more bucks. My hope always is that 3D TV, which it seems to have, would die. Because I don't want you people experiencing something I can't experience. <laughs> not the world, but it's not like I think. You're all in the same plane, and some of you are really tiny. That's the depth of you. Those are depths. Okay. So, is your trouble with depth perception? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So, do you not feel like you're worried to run into things? Well, I run into things. Are scares harder? I don't know, are they? Because I've never had a vision like you have, yeah. so I don't know the answer to that That's question. True. They probably are. 
I will, I will tell you this. The stairs at Rome's, when you're going down from the upstairs, yeah. part down, are impossible for me. Like, I'm holding on to think of, okay. Because there's no depth cues. For some, have the way they're built. Oh, yeah. I don't know why it is. Um, I, when I used to smoke, sometimes I'd miss my cigarette. Yeah. Uh, I have missed, sometimes I'll miss grabbing a cup. I don't usually have about 15 years, two years of experience. Yeah. I ride a bicycle. It's probably a very giant mistake. But I ride a bicycle. <laughs> it's almost certainly illegal. Yeah. <laughs> right. Dave, the stairs at Rome's are dangerous for everyone. They are. It's not just me. I feel like yeah. I've had a few tumbles there myself. Oh, I feel whenever I'm there, because my wife hates grocery shopping, and I love it, so I do grocery shopping. She sits upstairs, and then I text her when I'm done. I said, I'll go upstairs and grab it. And I'm always like, up the stairs is fine. It's going down the stairs. It's like, okay. Try going down on your butt. <laughs> 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 go back there and shop again. You know, yeah. I like it. Dave, to be perfectly honest, I used to work there. You'd be surprised how many people you used to fall down. Okay, yeah. There's something weird about those steps. Oh, it's funny. There's something weird about it. So I don't have binocular vision, um, so I can't drive a car. And I'm not very good at baseball. This is not because of car driving gene or baseball hitting genes. Because, but it's a purely, it's well, there's a genetic reason I can't do this, but it's not, it's a baseball gene or a car driving gene. You got the football gene. <coughs> football. Yeah. I wouldn't be good, but most people play sports. I'm very good. Weren't you a quarterback? Didn't you say a wide receiver? Quarterback? Oh, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> you were a wide I was a defensive tackle. Oh. Your job is to stand up and find the quarterback and sack him. You can do that. What if you miss the nuts? You know, oh that's not, that's not what No, that's oh. not what sacking is. It's it's, it's attacking the quarterback for a lap for a loss. That's it's never been called that. <laughs> I will say my sporting career peaked in 1980 when I sacked future NHL 50 goal scorer Craig Simpson, who now does hockey night in Canada. Every time I disagree with him and he says something stupid, I think to myself, I did once pick you up and throw you. <laughs> Um, so I do think that it's like, oh, Craig Simpson just said something stupid. Well, I did actually once pick him up and throw him in a, in a competitive football game. That was cool. That's where I peaked, as I said. Um, so I can't drive a car. I can't play baseball very well. I can't play baseball because there's two reasons. First of all, they're actually playing baseball. That's, my friends and I just play the ball hard. And I can't see it. I just swing it home. Uh, secondly, I don't really know how far the ball is away with the depth perception of what happened. And catch a ball? Yep. I used to play ball hockey and when I was in my 20s. And I, would, I remember playing against people and my brother and I would play together. And if I made a really good save, my brother would always look at somebody on the other team and go, you know he's legally blind, right? <laughs> and they go, what? It's my brother. He's actually blind. The guy used to take glove safe, literally blind. This was completely screwed him for the rest of the game. That's uh, It's also true. Um, so any questions? Like this, so you see how a single gene, the production of something like pigment, has changed me behaviorally. And cognitively, I would imagine, too. When are you going to fall out in your bar fight? Why would we fight if we're in a bar? We can drink. 
Yeah. I think Paul and I hardly would disagree on anything, even the smallest things, much less we fight. Um, I usually open it up right now for questions if anybody has any about the disorder I have, and I literally, nothing is, nothing offends me, I don't care if I'm pretty happy with who I am. So if you have any questions, do you have any? Yeah, please. You had your IQ measured? I have, yeah. <laughs> I know what it is, I'm not going to tell you. I've had it done twice. Once when I was in grade four, uh, and once, sorry, yeah, twice. Once when I was in grade four, and once in third year university, because we had uh, a waste in the second part of the year. I forgot about score, and I said, well, I know I'm smarter than you, and I did. And I beat him by How much variation between your two test scores? There was literally none. <laughs> but that just don't work. The reason I know the one from grade four is the day I turned 18, I walked into my office at my, uh, my high school and I said, I'm an illegal adult. So I request to see my Ontario student record right now, please. What? I said, I want to see my OSR file. No one does this. Yes, I know. I'm an illegal adult and I want to see my file. It's all kinds of things like, you know, notes from teachers from way back. Smart ass. Oh, no shit. That's me. Uh, but then there was a thing with my IQ and I went, oh, that's a didn't really care about it. But this isn't general. But I'll say that being interested in books and reading and all that stuff probably happened partially because I couldn't do a lot of playing things outside the lot of kids. I did them, but not as much. So when I was young, to pass the time, I read the encyclopedia. I read a dictionary. As one does. So I know very strange. All kinds of stupid things. The capital of every country in the world. Because of the <laughs> Other questions? So, you know, it's just something that I'm just trying to show you that we can have these genet this genetic variance and it affects your behavior, but it doesn't have to be a gene for driving a car. But there's a genetic reason I can't drive a car. Also, me driving a car probably bad with the road rage and the what have you. <laughs> Okay, let's think about partial dominance. Here's a couple of examples, and those of you guys who took animal behavior know about this. These are a couple of uh, different kinds of basically crickets. Here they are, one, one mummy cricket and daddy cricket really like each other. They have different calls to attract mates. That's the function of them. Okay? And the song is species-specific, like, just like it is in, in birds, uh, for example. If you, if you can hybridize these two, you end up with sterile hybrids, but they, they still will show sexual behavior. And in fact, the hybrids make a hybrid song, so it's sort of partway between the, the two songs, but they also prefer the hybrid song. So it's showing that there is probably a single gene that is both for preference of a song and production of a song. That's neat. Okay. Because the males make the songs, the females prefer them. So with the male, it's for production. With the female, it's for preference. That's neat. So that's called partial dominance. Pretty common thing. Um, hamsters. This is a that hamster. Notice how sickly that hamster looks. Uh, that hamster was discovered that, that um, morph. 
of the hamster was discovered by a guy named Martin Ralph. There's Marty. Um, they have this gene called the tau gene. Well, all hamsters do. And that gene controls the 24-hour clock of an animal. All animals have a circadian rhythm of roughly 24 hours. Except that if you have big T, big T, you've got a 24-hour clock like every other hamster. If you've got little T, little T like this poor guy here, you have a 20-hour clock. This is something that only showed up in a lab. This is something that in the wild would be dead very quickly. Uh, whoops, sorry. So you end up with you end up with partial dominance. Jesus, what well, you saw what it said? If you got big T, little T, or little T, big T, you end up with a twenty-two hour. So, it's a single gene effect on the on brain development. It affects a very specific area called the SCN, which is the biological clock of a hamster and also of a human. If you take cells from a hamster and SCN, and you replace the SCN from a wild type, that's the normal hamster, into the mutant one, you end up suddenly with an animal 24 hour clock. You also end up, if you take those cells and you put them in a petri dish, they pulse their clocks. They, just, they, they, they fire spontaneously at a constant rate. So there's probably some cognitive effects here, too, of an animal that, if it can't keep track of time, it's going to have all kinds of other problems. It's pretty cool. He was doing his graduate work, and he discovered these hamsters by dumb luck when he was breeding hamsters and changed his thesis completely. Yeah, right. Um, I know it's human beings if they have like weak circadian rhythms or something that sets them up for all kinds of mental illnesses. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, how, how would that harm a hamster? Um, okay, so you're hooked up. That hamsters are nocturnal, right? Because if you're diurnal and you're that small, you're going to get eaten. So it's a pretty good evolutionary strategy to be out at night because you're less likely to be seen and eaten. Yeah, but the problem is your clock is only two hours long, so it's going to shift, shift, shift to the point where when you wake up in the morning, when you wake up at night to be go out, it's actually in the morning and you're out walking around and then a kid in a hawk eats you. That's why it's going to screw you up and you're not going to live for long. Good question. Drosophila, these are sort of the white rat of genetics. Uh, they're fruit they're much smaller than that. That is not an actual size for software, which is good because if they were that big, they couldn't be that big anyway. They couldn't make an exit selling. Anyway, it was a triangle that was way more oxygen in our atmosphere. So there's different morphs. There's the dunce one. What is dunce? Dunce can't learn. How do you test learning in a, in a, in a, in a drosophila? It's pretty simple. A little shock prod in a, in a little beaker. And every time that thing lands on it, it shocks it. Most, your, your standard fruit fly learns pretty quickly. Don't land on shock prod. These guys don't learn. They're buzzing around. I don't know what that is. Little, oh, jeez, that hurts. Oh, it probably won't hurt now. They're stupid. Classical conditioning or opera conditioning. They can't learn it. Amnesia, what's that? 
They can learn, but they forget after 15 seconds. So they learn, oh, that hurt. Oh, boy, I better avoid that. I'm going to go over here. Go over here. Oh, I wonder what that's like. Ah! Oh, I better not go over here. Better not go over here. Oh, look at this. So it's, they basically forget after 15 seconds. Uh, stuck. Uh, this is when they're mating. They don't get unstuck. Coitus interruptus. This is when they pull out early or inserting their sperm into the phenom. These are all single gene effects, by the way. Like pretty complex behavior, right? There's bang sensitive, which I've always said sounds like it's about sex, and then I talk about sex plays. But no, it's actually this. If you take fruit flies in a, in a test tube and you hit the side of it, these guys that have that mutation, they all get stunned, like they get hit with phasers on stun. They all get to sort of knock them for a while and they wake up. Most fruit flies, that doesn't affect it. By far the coolest one, if we, and we all have our favorite Drosophila mutant, is her. Her is a mutation in the timing gene. This affects everything from the circadian rhythms to their ability to, say, do a mating dance correctly in the right order. And when you compare the order of base pairs in her and in the tau gene in those hamsters, 99% same base pairs in the same order. When evolution figures something out, it kind of keeps it. Even cooler, there's a gene in slime mold that controls the growth rate, the growth spurts, and it's based on it's a circadian rhythm. It makes sense. And you know what? It's it, it hybridizes about 95% of town with perp. These timing genes were discovered by evolution a long time ago and preserved. I don't know what the common ancestor is of slime molds and hamsters, but it was a freaking long time ago. Long time ago. Okay. So you might ask this question. Why are there different alleles? Like, on the surface, if one allele is better than others, why do others exist at all? Variation. Yeah, but why not be... If one's better than the other, why would variation be good? I mean, you're right. It's the idea that everything isn't static. The environment will change. But I mean, you think about something like we talked last term in over behavior about Arizona whiptail lizards that are basically all clones of each other. They mate perfect. They 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 uh, their their mating system is parthenogenesis. They they make clones of each other of themselves, but they live in an exceedingly stable environment in the desert of Arizona. If you live somewhere else, like oh I don't know, let's say you're a human and you live all over the planet, having some variance makes some sense. But why is one, does one allele not replace all the others if it's the best version? This is the question of why is there, say, for example, more albinism in some populations than others? That's a good question. Yeah, but if we're staying in a pretty stable place, you know, it's a good question, it's all. 
Are there neutral alleles? Are there versions that don't matter? Brown or blue eyes? I don't know. Mostly, this comes down to environmental fluctuation. The idea that over the long haul, there are changes in the environment and being ready for changes as slow as they may be in the slowest generation is probably advantageous. There's also the notion I mentioned is of heterozygous superiority. Um, if I can make one version of me that has this genome and one version that has a different genome, the chances of some of my genes being passed on is higher if there's some environmental fluctuation than if all of my genes, all of my zygotes are exactly, exactly the same. Or sorry, all of my gametes are exactly the same. Right? There's also something called frequency-dependent selection. It works like this. Some versions of a characteristic are only advantageous if they occur. Right? So some things are only advantageous if they're rare. Some things are only advantageous if they're very common. But usually we're talking here about things that are only advantageous if they're rare. If they become common, they are no longer advantageous. And of course, just mutation in general would cause these changes over time. There's bad copies. So it just um, yeah. it would be for survival? Well, yeah. I mean, at some point, everything's about survival and reproduction. But you use the example of the lizard being cloned, but in a stable environment. That environment has been so stable for so long that it led to a parthenogenetic species actually evolving out of the sexually reproduced so things are so comfortable, in other words, that... That it's actually advantageous to make complete copies of yourself. Think about this, because if reproduction, sexual reproduction, you're only giving half your genes to your young. There must be some real effect. It must be exactly at least two times more advantageous to be sexually reproducing than to not be sexually reproducing. Because you're giving half your genes, the other half comes from somebody else. Wouldn't it be great if they all came just from you? Because then you're, you would have copies, little you, little mini-me's, little copies of you running around. Right? But because there is environmental fluctuation, it makes sense to have sexual reproduction. Unless you have exceedingly stable environments, or it's such a simple species that it hasn't evolved. And we have things like a lot of, you know, uh, well, something like an amoeba, right? It's, so neutral, it's probably neutral. There's probably some advantage in certain places having brown eyes and some places having blue eyes. So like in Northern Europe where there's less light, it'll probably be better to have blue eyes. Yeah, exactly. Because there's going to be less glare or something. Didn't you say something weird too with the blue eyes having the bigger morphine receptors? I've never said that. I've never said that. I don't think I've said it. If I said it, I was going to waste it or something. I've never done that. If you have blue eyes, you're more susceptible to macular degeneration. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So what's all mean? So what's a gene for behavior? I mean, we could say a, a shorthand way of saying this is 
a behavioral difference is caused by a genetic difference. We have to keep in mind the idea of the interaction principle. So does that mean that a complex behavioral sequence is caused by a single gene? Usually no. It may affect it somehow. I can't drive a car because of a gene, but it's not because of a lack of a car driving gene. Which sounds like a really bad country song. I don't have a car driving gene. My girl left me. You like country music? That's fine. You're nuts. Not my, not my scene, man. So, basically, I'm talking about a genetic. I'm talking about genetic variants overlapping with behavioral variants, right? So just because something has could be completely heritable, a one point off, something like, and I mentioned PKU, doesn't mean it's unchangeable. It just literally doesn't. You just have to find the right environmental triggers to affect it somehow or some way. Make sense? So one thing you have to always remember is that genotype is not phenotype. So just because you have a certain set of genes doesn't necessarily mean you will be X, Y, or Z. It's an important thing to keep in mind uh, when talking about genetics. And a lot of times when people will question and talk about, well, that's has a genetic basis of some sort, People say, well, you think that means it's not changeable and we should never do anything for poor people. That belief happens a lot by people who understand You're saying that women should always be in the kitchen. No, no, I don't think I said that. I'm saying that genes affect behavior. You're saying the status quo is... When did I say that again? No, that's your interpretation, person who's never read a book. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are genetic variants can help explain behavioral variants, but I'm not saying that that's something unchangeable. On the other hand, you get people making that leap the other way, right? They'll say, the heritability of IQ is 0.6, and it's about right. There's no personality variable that has that kind of heritability except for IQ. They'll say, okay, that means that we shouldn't help stupid people. You know why? Because it's, it's all genetic. It's so much genetic that you can't change it. It's like, no, 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 you don't know anything. Stop. No, 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 no. no. Understanding the basis of something doesn't mean you like or dislike the status quo. Well, I mean, the mechanism behind the, the mechanism is, a, is, is separated of anything. It's separated from the genes, because the, the genes build the mechanism in an environment. Yeah, yeah. So whatever that mechanism can be, some some mechanism we all have. For example, classical tradition, social learning, we all have. Right. But the environment, therefore, doesn't affect it. No, it must. It, it must. They must not. Because what what the phenotype is is the genotype that unfolds in, in a certain environment. Okay. Other questions? You guys good? Alright, thanks. For that.
Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, uh, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GAU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. 
Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.